Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter 2. There may be a presidential election next year, but we already have our king. And he shall reign forevermore. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we're come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou not least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor. A governor. He's called a governor. And he shall reign forever and evermore. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He shall rule his people Israel. And today I want to speak to you for a few minutes on this subject. Where is the king? And why is he there? Where is the king and why is he there? God bless you. You may be seated. Herod was the king of Israel. He was not happy with the news that he received. Anyone that would proclaim himself to be king would be a threat to his kingdom. He asked the wise men when they found him to report back, but they were warned by an angel, don't do it. Herod was so distraught that he decided he would overkill any babies that would be born two years and younger would now be killed because of the birth of the king. What if you were a parent? There may, there's women in this congregation today that have children that are two and younger. What if a degree came from your president? Two and under all die. At their birth, kill them. That's what happened in Israel. Can you imagine the crying and the weeping and the sorrow of Israel at the birth of the king and the death of their own children? Herod did not want any competition. He was jealous of this newborn king. And so his decree was to eliminate any competition. Where do you think a king should be born? Should not a king be born in a palace? Shouldn't he be born in the capital city? Shouldn't he be born amongst royalty? 
But this king, this king was born in the least of all towns, Bethlehem. This king was born in a stable. And nobody seemed to know anything about it except for a few prophets. Isaiah chapter 9, we read it earlier, says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. Government. Upon his, not shoulders, shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase... His government will increase. That means he will take more territory. He doesn't just settle for Israel. He goes after the Gentiles. He increases what he rules over. And it will continue to increase. Don't listen to all the naysayers. God is about to do the greatest works that he has ever done before. God always has a grand finale. He always comes at the least possible moment, the most treacherous of times. Do not be caught asleep. Do not be afraid. God has a plan. And that plan is about to unfold. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and his, on his kingdom to order it, to establish it with justice, with judgment, and with justice from henceforth forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Where is the king today? And why is he there? But even more importantly, why did he even come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? To save his people from their sins. To seek and to save that which was lost. He is the 911. He is the rescue mission. And he has employed us as EMTs to meet the needs of other people. He works through us. I saw one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen in my life. It was of a, a person in a hospital, and they were laying on a bed, and there were doctors and nurses around this bed. Obviously, a surgery was taking place. And behind the doctor with the tools was the Lord himself with his hand on the shoulder directing him. God uses people, folks. He's used angels, but now he's using people and he wants to use you. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. And without controversy, great is the mystery you don't understand, you've got questions, here's the answer. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's why he came. That was his purpose. Even 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now in baseball, you are allowed three strikes. If you get the third, you're out. Three strikes and you're out. The first strike that we've had was that we didn't know when he was coming, where he was coming, and what his purpose was. He came unto his own, his own received him not. Did you know that Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 was written in 3264 B.C.? 3,264 years before Christ was ever born, Isaiah prophesied about him. But you see, the people did not know the word of God. Even the king himself did not know the word of God and did not know the time of God's visitation. Strike one. Strike two is the day that we're living in. The day where people are still asking this question. Is there a God? Where is he? And what is he doing if there is such a God? But I want you to know that Acts 17 and 27 says that we should seek the Lord if happily we might feel after him and find him though he be not far from any one of us. But we don't know where he is. People refer to him as the big guy in the sky, the man upstairs, the higher power. He's an abstract to people. Nobody seems to be able to identify him. But I want you to know that the apostolic church knows that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He is the mighty God incarnate the Redeemer, the Savior, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know who He is. And we know what He has done. And I'm not just talking about Calvary either. I'm talking about the miraculous. I want you to know that I believe the greatest of all miracles is a life transformed by the power of God's Spirit. That's the greatest miracle you can ever experience. It's greater than the healing of cancer heart disease, or any disease you want to talk about. And I dwell in the midst of a people that are the miraculous. They don't just talk about the miraculous. They don't only just pray for the miraculous. They are the miraculous. And we've got a testimony. But the world is still wondering, where is he? And what is his purpose? So that would be strike two. But strike three is on the near horizon. Will we be ready this time when he comes? We were not ready for Pearl Harbor. But we are much more cautious now. Much more cautious. How cautious are we about the coming of the Lord? Are we prepared if this were the morning that he split the eastern sky and called his church home, would we be ready? First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend again 
descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain under the com- shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming again. We missed them the first time. We better not miss him the second time. We better be ready for his coming this time. Because ready or not, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So then the next question that we would have to ask is where is God? Where is God? Some would say, I don't know, and I don't care. Matter of fact, I have a place that I would like to put God. I would like to take him out of the public schools. I would like to take him out of the courts. I would do everything I could to remove him from every aspect of society, even the churches. I would neuter the churches so that they would not preach an apostolic message, a message of hope, a message of the outpouring of God's spirit, that their lives might be transformed. I would neuter them and I would water the message down and I would do everything I could to make God an abstract, even in the church. That's what I call cemetery religion. Let's bury God in a cemetery. But I'm here to tell you, that didn't work out so good the first time. And it's not going to work this time either. He is alive and well. You can't keep a good man down, and you certainly can't keep a great God down. He's greater than all. And he is willing to prove it. He is willing to prove it. Some would say, well, where is God? Oh, he's in this little area of my house, or he's in the shed out back. I have a little shrine that I've built for him, and he stays in that particular area. I I don't let him upstairs, and I don't let him downstairs, and there are certain rooms of my house that he's not welcome in, but I do have a shrine for him. And I keep a Bible on my coffee table, Not that I read it, but there it is. I want everybody to know that I have a form of godliness, but I deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. God is not going to be limited to a coffee table or a corner or a shed or a stable. Hey, we need to learn from other people. You know the wisest people in the world? are people that have learned from other people's mistakes. You don't have time in your lifetime to make them all yourself. And you certainly don't need all the frustration and the agony. Learn from the mistakes of others. Know what the word of God has to say. Know where God's place is in your life and in your home. And then the third group of people, where is God? Well... God is in a nursing home. He's old now. We come, and, we come and visit him every once in a while, but then we leave him there. 
But I want you to know his eye is not dim, that it cannot see. His ear is not heavy, that, is, that it cannot hear. And his arm is not short, that he cannot reach. God is the eternal being. He is not limited to human limitations. He can be everywhere at every time. He can hear everyone when they speak. He can see everything that is done. He can minister to every life at the same time. Our God is much bigger than an old God with a white beard that, that lives somewhere in the abstract. But I don't want him to be limited to just a church building. I said nursing home. I've been in some churches. They are nursing homes. You don't feel anything. You don't hear anything. And that person that just coughed, you don't do that in the nursing home. You get up and excuse yourself and go out there and cough. And if a, if a child ever cries, oh my goodness, what an embarrassment that is to a family. Because you've got to remember, you're in a nursing home now. And old people like it quiet. I hope we never get old and get tired of worship and praise and prayer and speaking in other tongues and singing in the spirit, making a joyful noise unto the Lord. I hope we never become a nursing home. We are to be lively stones. Praise God. Praise God. But then there's the fourth group. And the fourth group says, I know where God is. He is wherever I am. I loved that song when I was growing up. Wherever I am, I'll praise him. Whenever I can, I'll praise him. For his love surrounds me like a sea. I'll praise the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. For the name of Jesus lifted me. Can you say it? Wherever I am. What if you're on the job? Oh, you don't worship God on, yeah, you can worship God on the job. Yeah, you can pray on the job. Why not? Yeah, you, God's not limited to this little square area here. Can I get an amen? Listen to what he said here in John 14. If you love me, then keep my commandments. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. See, if I don't see, I won't believe. I don't know if anybody from Missouri gets to go to heaven. The show me state. <clears throat> I don't know. That's just a play on words. I don't really believe that. Neither knoweth him, but, but, but you know him. Can I get an Amen. For he dwelleth with you, and he shall be. There it is. He shall be in you. Where is God? He lives in me. That's where he is. So wherever I am, there he is. I will not leave you comfortless, verse 18. I will come unto you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me. Do you? Do you see Jesus? Because I live, you're going to live also. Will you? Yes, you will. 
at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Wow. You want to know where he is? Where he'd like to be? In you. In you. That's where he'd like to be. That's why we can say, the miracles are not over. God is not dead. He is not a foreigner. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and he'll always be this way, forever. Do not limit God to a history book, a cemetery, a nursing home. Let him live and shine through your life. We know who God is. But if he's not where we have just discussed, then where is he? Well, he's wherever you left him. Or he's wherever you put him. You see, we, we want to have an arm's length, some people, an arm's length relationship with God. God, you go stand over here. I got this one. I can handle this without you. I'll call you for the big ones. You know how the, the big ones got to be big? They were little and you tried to handle it. And you told God to go stand over there. You didn't need his help. So he didn't help you. And now it's big. And you've made a mess. And it's your fault. And you blame God. God, why'd you let this happen? Why'd you let that happen? All of the decisions that you made to this point created this situation that you told me to stay out of. And now you're going to blame me? It's not fair. It's not right. God needs to be in the center of everything we do. Jesus at the center of, is that just a song? Or is that a message put to music that Jesus needs to be the center of our lives? Not just a perimeter player. And finally, what are we looking for? I'd like you to examine this with me. This is Matthew chapter 7. What are you looking for and whom do you seek? Now the beginning of this message began this way. Where is the king and why is he there? And we've tried to answer that. But now I want to get real specific with you as to what we need to do next. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Do you see a process here? I know a lot of people that are knocking Jesus. You got it, you got it all wrong. You have not because you ask not, or because you've asked a miss so that you could take unto yourselves things that you shouldn't have. 
But why would God deny what we need when he said that he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory? But we haven't asked. Oh yeah, I asked. Well, did you seek after God after you asked? Did you ask him to reveal, is this your will for my life? Would this be good for me spiritually? And if you begin to answer the questions that he asks in the affirmative, then you have a right to knock. Knock. Jesus, it's me again. It's Rick. Remember what I asked you about? Remember what you showed me when I sought you? Matthew 6 and 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Where is he? How can I find him? Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Priorities. Priorities. What's first in your life? My needs. No, they shouldn't be. What should be first in your life is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when it is, all these things will be added unto you because he knows that you have need of these things before you even ask. But he looks for us to prioritize our lives. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've been taught. Remember that the way that we spend our time reveals our priorities. And the way we spend our money reveals our values. So if we get our time and our values in their proper priority, God can bless us. And he wants to. How many of you here today are parents? You have children or you have grandchildren? Does it bring you joy when you bless your children? When you see their eyes light up because of something that you did that contributed to their happiness? Do you think God doesn't feel the same way? Do you think God doesn't want to bring a smile to your face, doesn't want to bless you? Jeremiah, this is where we'll stop today. Jeremiah chapter 29. Where is the king and why is he there? Verse 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you will go, and you will pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me, and you shall find me, when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. 
And I will not turn away. And I will turn away all of your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. Boy, that is a mouthful. I had this thought the other day. Do you know when when Israel was released from the bondage in Egypt and they left and they were led and they came to the Red Sea, they stopped. Did you wonder why? Why did they stop? Because the Egyptians were not close enough for them to pursue the Red Sea. God wanted the Egyptians to catch up. The ones that had them in captivity for 400 years were once again going to reject God and pursue and try and kill or captivate his people again. And God said, stay right here. But he didn't tell them they're on their way. And when the dust rose and they knew that the Egyptians were in hot pursuit and they were approaching them, they complained. Why did you lead us into the desert? Did you bring us out here to die? At least when we were in Egypt, we had things to eat. And now we're going to lose our lives. They murmured and they complained. But God was right where, they wa- where he wanted them. That was the spot that he was going to show Israel and the Egyptians his glory. That was the spot that he was finally going to deliver them of all of their captivity. And one man, only one, said, God, what do we do now? He sought God for God's counsel. And God gave him the answer. Only one man. Why are you telling us this story? I'm telling you this story because some of you feel like you're in captivity and you're going nowhere. And God is about to do the miraculous. If you would ask him for his counsel. If you would seek him with all your heart. If you would cry out to him because he's not very far from any one of us. And he is going to deliver us and destroy our captors. And he said, Moses, I'm going to cause a strong east wind to blow all night. I want you to stick your rod toward the water. And he pointed his rod toward that water and God caused the water to billow on both sides because of the wind that cut right through the sea. And he said, now you can move. He couldn't move until God made a way and until God said it was time. God does things in his time. He's not on our clock. He's on his own clock. And they went through that sea. And because there was a a vanguard behind them, the cloud of darkness, the Egyptians could not overtake them. And when they got to the other side of the sea, God spoke to Moses again and said, extend your rod over the sea again. And he did. And the wind stopped. And when the wind stopped, gravity took over. 
and the sea came back to its normal place and all the Egyptians that were in it were drowned. And then God pushed all those Egyptians up on the other shore. I thought about this too. Why did God push the Egyptians on the opposite shore? Because he didn't want any Israelites giving a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. He wanted them to know, you belong on the other shore. That's a part of your old life. We're moving toward the promised land now. They won't be bothering you anymore. I'm saying all this to say to you, whatever it is that you're going through, and the question that you're asking is, where is the king and why is he there? God's got the answers. And God's got the time. And God's got the power. And God is our deliverer. And he will see us through and destroy our captors. Where is God and why is he there? Hopefully you've got some of those answers now. But where does he want to be? Where does God want to be? Oh, don't get me wrong. I believe God is well pleased to when the body assembles itself together. I said the body assembles itself. You're a member in particular. He's pleased with that. He's glad to meet with us in the sanctuary. And I'm glad for his presence and I'm glad for his word and, and all the great things that God does in the sanctuary. But God wants to live in your temple. He doesn't want to be left here. Don't leave God here today. Take him with you. Ask him to lead you. Seek him with all your heart, and there you'll find him. Let's stand together. Jesus, I pray for this congregation today. 2,000 years ago, they didn't know where the king would be born. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.